This morning our title is Go. And I want to challenge us, keep a bookmark in that Romans 10 passage, would you? And keep it close. Uh, it's not going to be necessarily our main text this morning, but uh, keep it close. And the challenge of it, and, and I would encourage you to um, underline that area. That, that whole chapter is, is a fantastic chapter. And it's one that, in a little bit, I'm going to encourage you to have Scripture available so that you can be effective at what it is that we're striving towards uh, in our efforts under the idea of missions. Let me go ahead and pray over the message this morning. Lord, give us an excitement and a passion that far surpasses what happened at the O Stadium last night. Give us a zeal to go wherever that is, and give us wisdom and insight when to speak whenever that is. And give us great courage and passion. Let us never lose our understanding of the value of the gift that's been given to us. Therefore, wanting to share it with those around us. Speak clearly this morning, Lord. To Your glory. Amen. So I have a question for you this morning. Where is your pulpit and what are you preaching? Where is your pulpit and what are you preaching? Every Christian occupies some kind of pulpit and preaches some kind of sermon every day. This morning, we're going to predicate our, our sermon out of the Matthew passage. We're going to look at this very famous command... You know that if we're going to be doing a missions month, we're going to bring this out. Because it's a good reminder. It's the fundamentals. How many of you have ever been involved in sports and later on, or, or maybe it's music or some kind of discipline, and later on when you get a certain level of expertise, you're told to start with your scales, or you're told to start with uh, certain rudimentary uh, touches, and you're thinking, I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm much more advanced than this. It starts with the basics. And in our spiritual life, we have to start with the basics. My friends, this is basic. This is basic to our understanding of what God has for us here. I've always thought, wouldn't it be convenient if at the moment that I came to grace, the moment that I came to faith, the Lord just took me home right then and right there. Why doesn't He? Why doesn't He? Because I would miss out on all that He has to do through me. And that's the beauty that we will never experience in heaven. Do you realize that? There is a uniqueness to being here in this moment now with what God has given you in a unique way for what He has planned. You will not be able to do that in heaven. This is it. The clock is ticking. The fans are in the stands. The audience has gathered. Have you taken the stage yet? Where is your pulpit and what are you preaching? Matthew 28, 18-20 says this, and it's on the screens in front of you, but you can look in your own Scriptures this morning. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Now listen, carefully. 
When he starts out with a statement of saying, all authority has been given to me, you start to pay attention. Because he's going to ask something that he knows people are going to question. He has just spent three years in ministry being questioned viciously by those who didn't want to buy into what he was selling. And he knows that the disciples and those that are gathered as an audience in front of him still need that level of understanding. And so in his communication, his glorious communication style, he says, I'm about to tell you something that's really important. And if you're going to question me on it, let me just predicate it by saying, I've got the authority to ask this of you. Formal language is what this is. Formal language. Because he's setting up an expectation for his, his disciples and for us. What is that expectation? He says, go! Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Every Christian occupies some kind of pulpit and preaches some kind of sermon every day. When it comes to this idea of multiplication, my daughter got a rabbit. Multiplication. And it is amazing. I, I, I hope I don't ruin your picture of Easter tradition. But this rabbit is so cute that uh, we just let it kind of roam around the family room when we're down there. And, and we're not real excited about any animal um, excreting certain things on the carpet. But this rabbit, is, it, it's an amazing thing that happens in my house that my wife is willing to let the rabbit continue to roam around as long as the kids, you know, get up what comes out. But I got to tell you, I think I now understand having a rabbit in my house where this whole Cadbury bunny idea came from. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Just going to leave it at that. But this idea of multiplication, I'm, I'm looking at this rabbit and I, I see some things multiplied at an exponential rate. There are other things that now there is talk maybe about a second rabbit. And yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, um, let's just get everybody interested in the same rabbit. That would be a good idea. If you're here today as a result of someone in this church inviting you or having some sort of spiritual influence in your life, I want you to stand up. If you are here as a result of someone in this church inviting you or having some sort of spiritual influence on you, please stand up. Fantastic. Please have a seat. Each of us had someone share the glory of who Jesus Christ is with us at some point. Now what if that person held back? What if that person didn't go? What if that person used rationale and reasonings 
that I tend to use all the time for not speaking boldly. Would you share in the grace that God has given you? Do you understand what's at stake? Now, as I think about that for myself, then I I take the next step in that and I say, who is it that God has intended that they should hear so their life would be changed through me? And how do I shape my life according to that idea? This morning, again, every Christian occupies some kind of pulpit and preaches some kind of sermon every day. We're a church that believes in several things, but when it comes to this idea, we're a church that believes in go. We're a church that practices go. We're a church that preaches go. You sent a team of six guys over to England this summer. Not so that we would learn cricket. Although we didn't do half bad. You are a church that sends people overseas. You are a church that supports local ministries. You're a church that gets involved and goes down and works with people. You are a church that in the workplace, you are speaking truth and coming alongside those that are hurting. You are a church that reaches out to those who have less and you have more and therefore you're sharing the love of Christ with them. That's who this church is. This past Wednesday night, it was my privilege to walk around. I was kind of in a need of a shot of ministry adrenaline on Wednesday night. And so I got out of my office and walked around and started looking at the ministry that was going on. And in one room in particular, right over here in the school library, there were 11 kids, none of which attend our church. None of which attend our church. And in that room was Sally. And in that room was Margie. And in that room was Robin Rogers. And in that room was Philip. And uh, in that room was another lady named Susan. Sitting and intently listening to kids learn Scripture. And every kid in that room was focused on learning Scripture. That cannot happen unless we go. We're a church that believes in this. I cannot tell you from room to room to room, whether it was the youth. Folks, we had 60 kids here. 60 kids here Wednesday night. We barely had 60 adults here this morning. We had 60 kids here learning the Word of God. That cannot happen unless we go. It cannot happen unless we go. But if we're to examine carefully with the eye of a skillful practitioner, what would the results of our preaching reflect? Right? If each of you has a pulpit and each of you are preachers, if if this theory of mine is true, what do the results yield? Sometimes it's less than desired. Sometimes that's the burden on us is that we try and we don't see the results but you know here's the thing is that christ has given us a promise first he's given us this command to go and then he says to do this in his power and he says 
if you do this, if you do not grow weary in doing good, in Galatians 6, if you do not grow weary in doing good, in the end it will reap a what? A harvest. It'll reap a harvest. Multiplication. Somebody invested in you because somebody invested in them. And now you are investing in others. Philip had five young guys surrounding him on Wednesday night. That's multiplication. It's incredible. Multiplication. But sometimes we get discouraged because we don't see immediate results. Let me, let me explore this a little bit. Um, maybe part of the reason that we get a little disillusioned with missions or the idea of missions or the idea of going is maybe it's because we don't require anything. Maybe it's because there's no accountability. Maybe it's because we think it's about the other guy. Why do we struggle so badly in this area of go? A gal named Rebecca Rupert says this, Christians and non-Christians have something in common. We're both uptight about evangelism. I'm going to give you four reasons why I think we lack. You ready? Four reasons for the lack of the harvest. If you get discouraged like sometimes I do, that you put forth all of this energy. You know, this past week uh, has just been uh, one of those weeks. And uh, sometimes you guys have them, sometimes I have them, sometimes we all have them. And uh, I'm out there trying to be out of the ivory white tower in coaching and, and being involved in the community with coaching. And so because of my efforts earlier this week at a game, because of trying to protect some of my players, and because of how some people heard what was never stated, I found myself surrounded at the end of the game by referees and Parents from the other team, players from the other team, coaches from the other team, all accusing me of something that I never said I never did. And I was horrified because my purpose for being in the community is to magnify Christ. And so I'm saying, Lord, why am I having to go through? A formal complaint was filed with the region. I had to write reports. My assistant coach had to write reports. Now, the beauty of it is that in the midst of once I realized what was going on, I started praying. And the Lord gave me a clear understanding. And I simply said, let's just breathe and let's go over exactly what was said so that you know my heart and you don't go off of implication. Regardless of whatever happens there, I came away feeling punched in the gut. And I said, God, I'm trying to do this for you. And here there's a whole team from a section in our city that thinks I'm the biggest jerk in the world. How does that work? And then it happened again on Thursday in another area, in another focus, just trying to take care of something, trying to do due diligence. And the next thing I know, I've upset somebody incredibly. Right after they gave me the biggest compliment. I'm saying, God, sometimes it just isn't worth going. Have you been there? You can't give up. Because one of the things I received from the regional director was this statement after I settled down and backed off the caffeine. 
was when it was reported to him, he said, can you tell me again who this was? And they reported my name again. And three times the regional director said, are you sure? I know this guy. And he doesn't say those things. You know, it's nice to know that that's your reputation in the community, that even the regional director would defend you. Folks, Satan is out there and he wants to discourage you from doing what you're been, you, you and I have been asked to do. Don't give in to the discouragement. Let's lift each other up. Let's encourage each other. But here are some reasons why I think we get discouraged or we, we see a lack of harvest. We focus on ourselves. Tuesday night, my wife will attest to this, three and a half hours and, and, and even as I'm going to sleep, all I could think about was what I did wrong. Not two and a half hours of all the things I did right in coaching that team. All I could think about was what I did wrong. Not about what God could do in the situation. Not about what God might be doing in the situation, regardless of how it seems in the immediate moment. My focus was on myself. And as long as it's there, Satan's won. No harvest. My focus is on myself, no harvest. Second reason, lack confidence. One of the things I was accused of on Tuesday night that was misconstrued, I actually said the word, but I was saying it to my own player. I was saying it to my own daughter. So I was trying to be careful. We had a game yesterday. I said the same exact thing again. But was it could be misconstrued. And so I have to be very, very careful. And so now, who knows what's going to happen this Tuesday? You know, I am going to put duct tape over my mouth. And so I have this lack of confidence all of a sudden that, you know, I just really don't know what I'm doing. I have no business doing this. I'm ranting all the way home yesterday from the game to my wife. You know, everybody's quiet in the car and she's just staying calm. And, and after about five minutes of pause, she says, now, honey, you did this right and this right and this right. Thank you, honey, for being patient with me. But one of the things I said was, I don't know what I'm doing. Have you been there spiritually when you tried to share your faith? Number one reason why we don't share. I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. We're going to help you with that this morning. Number three, we don't commit in prayer. When it comes to sharing, it comes to going, sometimes we just jump in with our feet, right? And we haven't committed it to prayer. We haven't asked God, what do you want us to do? We're talking about this right now in our life groups in, the, in this book, Experiencing God. We've got to commit to prayer what it is God wants us to do if we want to see a harvest. Fourth, we tolerate suffering. What? Pastor Jeremy, what are you talking about? Well, we tolerate suffering. You know, one of the things that we can do, and I kind of typified it as the R4 approach to missions. And every once in a while, if you've been around here for a while, you guys are like, oh yeah, I remember, R4, but I don't really remember for R4. So I'll go over it again. It's just a strategy for where to go to present the gospel and to share Christ from your life. Where is your pulpit? Here it is, R4, regionally. Where are you most of the day? Wherever you are most of the day, that's your pulpit. Recreationally, we have a group of guys that get together to play softball on Sunday nights. If you saw my batting average, you'd know I wasn't out there because I'm talented at softball. Although I like it. You know, recreationally, we can use that as a forum. Resourcefully, 
When we look around ourselves and we see people like the opportunity that we have with Samaritan's Purse. We have resources when people don't. Guess what? Just like Lifetime, that gives us an audience with people to share Christ. When you share your resources. Relationally. Did I already say relationally? Thank you. Relationally. Folks, the people that are around you the most, that's your pulpit. That's your pulpit. Pastor, how can you say we tolerate suffering? Well, let's go through it. You see this picture, right? You see this picture and you want to reach out, right? You hear the story about Victoria and we want to reach out. And we do. You're going to hear a lot about how we do those things. But I think we tolerate suffering when there's a teacher that looks like she's got it all together but's going through a divorce. And she's incredibly lonely. And she's hurting on the inside. And she's a good friend of ours. And she's falling to pieces, but she'll never let you know it. We can look at natural disasters and we can say, wow, resourcefully we can reach out and we can do so much for the cause of Christ. And we do. But then we can go to our local auto mechanic who's just there to fix our car. And we have a great relationship with him because he's honest and he's a good guy and he keeps us going. But have we ever bothered to ask him, do you need fixing? Do you need a valve adjustment? Right? Just a little creativity in asking some questions. Or do we just tolerate people around us that present a good picture, but we know they're suffering. We know they're suffering. And they're all around us. They're our pulpit. Just a kid texting. Just a kid texting. Or is it? Each of you have a person in your life that you know is suffering. The easy thing to do in some senses would to be write a check to some disaster relief thing or go and, and do what a lot of people love to do and, and, and walk in support of a, of a cancer drive or something. And all those are good things. The hard thing, you want to see a harvest? Look at your next door neighbor. Look at members in your family. Look at those who work in the cubicles next to you. Look at people in this church. Are they suffering? Go. There will be a harvest. All you have to do is go. The Great Commission can be fulfilled. And as we move towards finishing up this morning... Let me help you with that. First of all, John R. Stott says this, the church is under orders. Evangelistic inactivity is disobedience. Let me encourage you with two things. Number one, get your eyes off the waves. Stop looking at the things that are hindrances and just do it. Just get out there. Don't do it in your power. Do it in the Lord's power. Remember that we need to pray. You've got to believe that God is going to come through with His precious and great promises. If He's asked us to go out and do this, then He will provide the opportunities. And don't ever look at failure as, boy, that person didn't just look up at me with tears in their eyes and say, I need Jesus. 
How many of us had the seed planted at a point in time and then later on that seed had to germinate, that seed had to be cultivated? This is a biblical concept, by the way. Some plant, Paul says. Some water, Paul says. And some cultivate the harvest, Paul says. Because that's how God has designed it. You're not a failure. The moment you preach in your pulpit, you are fulfilling the Great Commission. Do you understand? The moment you preach in your pulpit, you have gone. Let me encourage you how to do that. Number one, find one verse. Find one verse. You say, I don't know the Bible. I don't know Scripture enough to find one verse. My wife is great at this. You've heard me share from 2 Peter chapter 1 over and over this year. And this Scripture can apply to anybody. And at the end of it, it says, for if you never fall and you, you grow in these qualities in increasing measure, there is a treasure waiting for you. There is an inheritance waiting for you. There is a glorious acceptance waiting for you when you arrive in heaven. Man. That's like getting a walk-off hit when you've struck out three straight times that night. There's a glorious... Did you guys see that at the end of the game, right? The entire team goes running on... And if they'd allowed the stands, the stands would have run out on the field and grabbed up this catcher that had gone 0 for... It was 0 for 3, right, Sam? Until he got that last hit. 0 for 3! Ah! Oh, I'm 0 for 3! I have all this pressure on me! Two guys on base! This is it! We have to win this game! He didn't focus on that. He didn't focus on his failures. He didn't focus on himself. He focused on, if you listen to his post-game interview, he said, I know he throws the splitter. I've never faced the guy before, but I know he throws the splitter. And we got into a count where I had to figure that's what was coming. And the ball that he laced into center field over the shortstop for a game-winning single, probably the biggest hit of his life, was out of the strike zone. It was not a good pitch to swing at, but he went. He went. And he went with what he knew. He knew one thing about this pitcher, and that was he throws the splitter. And so I'm going to go with that. Find one verse. Go with that. John 3.16. Anything out of Romans 5. Find it. Go with our theme passage out of first or second Peter one, three through eight. And just start sharing it with people all around you and see what God does with Scripture. Then guess what? It takes all the pressure off you. It takes all the pressure off you. Secondly, you got to share your voice. Share your victories. I'm going to get to it in a second. You're going to see. Oh, whoops. Who put that up there? <laughs> You each have a story. I have a story. And those people around us that are suffering, that are going through great difficulty, they're going to learn from empathy and from your preaching. What makes effective preaching? I've been told inspiration and preaching the Word of God. 
A lot of the time, inspiration comes because you can relate to a story or an allegory that the preacher puts out. It grabs you. It grabs your heartstrings. It's what I'm trying to do with baseball today. Share from the victories in your life. People can never discount that, my friends. When you go, share how your life has been changed. And you have shared with me how others have seen it and they've come and told you. Come right back to them and say, all of that is available for you. If it can happen to me, it can happen for you. Let me give you four points. You ready? Oh, these aren't four. Sorry, I got kind of cute here. And I, I made an alliteration. It was four points, but you know me. I'm always going to make something longer. Number one, help. You want to you see a harvest. And you want to go. And you want to preach in your pulpit. How do you start? Number one, just help. Grasp that there are those around you who need help. And just start helping them. Two, availability. The disciples had sacrificed their schedules to be in His presence. You have to draw upon the power of God to do this. You have to be available so that you can listen to the Lord and you have to be available to those around you. And this is part of the great distraction, as I call it. This is one of the reasons we don't see the harvest the way that we should see the harvest. It's because we're not available. Yesterday morning, my team was walking around the field in a half daze. Maybe two of my players were awake. We've never had a 9 a.m. game. We had a 9 a.m. game in Martinez, and half the team wasn't even there five minutes before we started. And so I'm trying to get them to wake up. I'm trying to crack jokes. I'm trying to get them to run. I'm trying, you know, anything I can. And they just couldn't pull it off. They just were a mess. And uh, lots of opportunity, um, but they just couldn't pull it off. Now, one of the reasons I told them afterwards is, team, we can't have success on Saturday if only five of our players are at practice on Thursday. You've got to be available if you're going to be part of the team. We need to look around and say, who isn't available? And encourage them, schedule some time. Schedule some time. You want the harvest, you have to schedule the time. Reconciliation, this is powerful. Start right here because this will reach to any heart. The idea of reconciliation, of bringing what has been separated and bringing it back in together. I'm sitting, I'm always at Toto Santos Square. If you all want to say hi to me on my day off, I'm always in Toto Santos Square every Friday unless uh, I'm sick or gone out of town. Um, I just go down, I hang out at the coffee house for about an hour and a half, two hours, and I start making phone calls to people I haven't talked to for forever. And so this past Friday, and I often see Dave and Rachel because they do a little walk and they hold hands and it's beautiful. And I sit in my car and I tear up and uh, it's a chamber of commerce shot. And um, so I'm sitting in my car because I couldn't find a place where I could actually hear. I'm on the phone with one of my new siblings that I have been introduced to in the past year and a half. It is the last sibling that I never knew for 46 years. It is the one that didn't want to talk. For the past year and a half. And for the first time, I got to talk to him for an hour and a half. Kind of crazy. He remembers seeing our mom pregnant with me in 1966. And here we're talking on the phone together for the first time. 
It was nuts. It was nuts. But you talk about reconciliation, that, you know, that connects to everybody's heart. You have been reconciled to the Father. And He is in process of always seeking to reconcile those that are lost. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture speaks to this issue. Find those Scriptures. I've got a list of them right here. You can come up to me afterwards. I'll give them to you. You can ask for my notes. I'll email them to you. i got seven Scriptures that talk about God's desire for those that are lost to come to Him. Let that be one of your Scriptures. Simple, concise. Roll with that. Reconciliation is key to the harvest. Victory. Share the victory that you have experienced. How many of you were inspired by the testimonies we had last year at Thanksgiving dinner? I was. And we're going to have some more coming up. Incredible inspiration. Knowing what God does in ordinary people's lives and those that are suffering, those that are having difficulty, and seeing that and sharing that with people is powerful. It helps people strike to faith. Share the victory that you've had in your own life. Be an example. Your pulpit takes you around in front of a lot of different people every day, doesn't it? And so you need to abide in Christ. 1 John 2.6 speaks about this. That if anyone wants to abide in Christ, he must walk as Christ walked. Be an example in your life. You know, that was the one area of the harvest this past week that I got challenged in, right? I wasn't being dishonoring towards God. I wasn't being dishonoring towards the cause of Christ. And even so, there were those that, as word has gotten back to some of our players, I hate your coach. You know what I have to remember? I've often thought about doing this. Putting something over my office door that says, they hated Jesus too. Remember that every time I go outside of my four walls. Just because of confusion. Seems like what happened a lot when Jesus was walking three years in His ministry, right? Going does not mean simple. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Submission. Recognize Jesus as the authority in your life. Where does He start in Matthew 28? I have the authority to ask this of you. And 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 you. Jesus has the authority to ask this of us. To go and make disciples. Talk. It's not enough just to be an example. Because I could think that you're an Avon rep. I could think that you're selling me the juice bullet off TV or something. You know, just being nice. Just being Christ-like. That's fantastic. But that's going to make people ask you, why are you this way? secret. Just figure it out. Just figure it out. You'll get it. You'll get it. I'm a Republican. You'll get it. Just kidding. Just kidding. You know, I throw those things out to see where you are politically. You know that? You've got to share the gospel. 
got to use your words too. By the way, what did that spell? Very good. Very good. Go. No, seriously, go. Go. We're done. The service is over. <laughs> when you walk out through those doors, it's your pulpit. What are you preaching? I'm going to ask the men to gather for the offering. I'll ask the Lord to uh, bless Nathaniel that he survives. Actually, the Bree survives. Her hearing damage isn't... No, I'm going to ask the Lord to bless our offering this morning. Again, be sure as you leave today to check at the kiosk different ways that you can go. Different ways that you can have an influence. Uh, multiple things that we have happening. One is Mexico. We'll give you more details about that. Two, Samaritan's Purse. Uh, you can sign up for that at the kiosk. Three, Outreach Sunday is coming up on um, the third Sunday of the month. And then the last thing I'm going to give you is simply this. Today I asked you about multiply, right? And that we're going to lead with that idea, that thought. And so I'm going to ask for a favor from you. Okay, I had the card up here somewhere. And now it mysteriously disappeared. You guys saw that card, right? The one for prayer. You know, the one that's in the chairs in front of you. So somebody hold up that card. There you go, Sally. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you buy into this idea of multiply, if you feel that the Lord is giving you a desire to listen to His edict of go, and you're willing to lay your heart before that and say somewhere in this next month, I commit myself to multiplying the disciples of Christ. I may or may not see the harvest this month, but I'm going to commit myself to making every effort. Maybe it's more than one. Maybe it's two. Maybe it's three. Whatever. I'm going to ask that you flip over that card, write that commitment, put your name on it, write that commitment to me, and I'm going to gather that information. You can do it this Sunday. You can do it next Sunday. You can email me. It doesn't have to be on that card necessarily, but if you have time and you want to do that commitment, then do it. Let's multiply. Let's multiply because God has asked us to do so. Let me pray over the offering this morning. Father, it is a blessing to be the recipient of Your love. Give us clear understanding, clear knowledge. Give us a zeal to move forward. Lord, You know those that are in my pulpit those that I've tried to reach out to, I will continue to do so. Give me the power and help me to be continually more prayerful about it. But I rest in Your power. I will toil, like Paul says, to present mature believers in all wisdom. Father, I leave the harvest to You. I ask, Lord God, that as we give our gifts, that we do so with an understanding that it's an act of worship, it is an act of joy for us to give to You from our hearts. Thank You for providing for us, giving us the resources so that the Word of God can go out. Thank You for those that give 
and that go in so many different ways. Let us commit to raising up at least one other person and multiplying ourselves over this month. Thank You, Lord God. To Your glory. Amen.